Hello, everybody. This is Shift M Podcast, our next episode, uh, and we have a special guest today, Gordon Treadgold from UK. Am I right? Indeed. I'm from Leeds in the north of England. Okay. Gordon, please introduce yourself. Say everything you have about yourself, please. Hi, so my name is Gordon Treadgold. I uh, spent 30 years working in IT in senior uh, leadership positions, turning around failing projects and underperforming departments. And uh, having done that and led teams of a thousand people, budgets of a hundred uh, to 300 million. Having done that for 30 years, I started to write, coach and speak on leadership, sharing the lessons I'd learned on turning around failing projects and once you know how to stop things from failing you can actually apply those principles at the start of an initiative and help accelerate the speed with which you succeed so that's kind of what i uh, coach and help people with how to avoid failure and achieve amazing results and you wrote a book about that you, you sent me the electronic copy of it, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. So I, I've written two books. The first book I wrote was called uh, Leadership. It's a marathon, not a sprint, which was about how to uh, create sustainable leadership. Uh, and it, and it's, it's a good book, and it teaches you different techniques for leading. But when I did the second book, um, so with the first book, you could, there's 26 chapters and principles, and you can pick and choose. Uh, but with the second book, I wanted to be much more pres prescriptive because what I realized was that um, anytime I came in and took over a project that was underperforming or failing, I actually had a, 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 an approach that I followed. And what I did was I um, extracted that process and then broke it down in a way that I could explain it and teach it to other people so that they could follow it. Uh, and that's a process that, you know, um, spells the word fast and it's about getting the right focus, accountability, simplicity, and transparency. These are the things that cause us to fail. But if we perform well in those four areas, not only do they prevent us from failing, but it actually accelerates the speed with which we succeed. So that's the same, exactly the same pattern of failures in all projects you've been able to observe, right? In, in projects that I've observed, that I've been involved in, on the projects that I've led that failed early in my career or struggled with, the ones I took over, but also when you look at um, you know, great failures, they all fall into that pattern. And when we talk about fast, we talk about focus, accountability, simplicity, and transparency. Focus is about the what. A lot of projects fail because people are doing the wrong thing. You know, we, we think we're focused on the right thing, but sometimes we just get too quickly involved and then we're, we're focused on the wrong thing and it makes it impossible for us to succeed and I'll give you an example of that that I didn't know until the last four or five years and that's you know from a something that everybody I know has probably tried to do at some stage and that's weight loss and you know every time I wanted to go on a diet I would go down to the gym and I would work out like crazy yet when you look at all of the research now it's diet that contributes 80 percent to your, um, your, your, your weight and your, if you want to lose weight, that's where you need to focus. So by focusing on going down the gym all the time, I was actually focusing 
on probably the least efficient and effective component. And you know, I, not only did I focus on uh, exercise and I did it badly, which then made me hungry, which made me eat more, which was then self-defeating. So mm-hmm. if you've got that wrong what, you know, and, and when you look at businesses, um, 95% of startups fail, 42% of those fail because they're trying to sell a product that nobody wants or needs. 42% because they've got the wrong what. Then accountability is about the who. Have you told the people what they need to do? Have you given them the things they need in order to be able to do it? If you don't do that, you're going to fail. And then simplicity is about how are you doing it? Have you made it easy for people to understand? Because if people don't understand, then when things, and they can't, if they can't see how they're going to be successful, they're inclined to quit when things get difficult. And then the last part is about transparency. And transparency is about knowing how far do we need to go. So if you, you know, it's like a marathon, you've got to run 42 kilometers. You need to know where you are on that journey. Otherwise, you might end up stopping at, you know, kilometer 41 and, and you've failed to deliver it. You need to know where that end point is and where you are on that journey. And, you know, 99% of all failures fail because they performed poorly in one of those or a combination of them. Mm-hmm. Sounds interesting. And we are talking about management mistakes here mostly, right? Or we on the on both levels, like implementers and performers and managers. So, so I think the, the, I have a very simple philosophy when it comes to management and leadership, and that is that it's the leader's job to put the people into a position where they can be successful. And so I don't tend to see, you know, the people that worked for me, if they're doing the wrong thing, it's my job to make sure they're doing the right thing. So we have to get them focused. Peter Drucker says, um, management is about making sure people are doing things right, but leadership is about making sure they do the right things. So we need to make sure that in, in our leadership and management positions, we've got people that are leading and managing. It's their responsibility. It's not necessarily the implementers that get it wrong. It's leadership and management. So I'm, my question is, who is defining, let's start with the focus. Who is defining the focus? Let's say I'm a programmer, I'm sitting in a project and I'm, uh, you know, I'm getting some directions from my manager and then I feel that the focus is lost. So do I need to fix it well, myself or I have to blame the manager? Well, the, the, the focus is about the what. So we have to give you a clear picture of what success looks like and a clear description of what the goal is. So, it, it, you know, it might be that, you know, we want to, I give you a direction where I want, to, I want you to create as a developer a read-only website. That, mm-hmm. And I want it to show information about the company, our products, and, and I would give you that direction. I might not tell you how to do it but what I do is I tell you what it is I'm looking for what is my expectation what is the what will what does success look like so that you can then go away and build that and it, and if you and it, and if as a developer if you don't understand then you need to go back and ask for more clarity it's like me telling you I want you to make me a cake okay what kind of cake do you want a chocolate cake 
Do you want a sponge cake? Do you want it with icing? We, we have to define what success looks like and then we can let the people go and deliver it. And so there's a two part to this. There's one, there's a definition of what success looks like and then the person who's implementing it, if they understand it, great, off you go. If you don't understand or it's not clear, then go back and ask for more clarity. But that sounds that sounds really great. But in most cases, people are. Uh, first of all, I have to say that in most projects, people don't have the focus. You you probably know that better than me. So correct. Yeah, we don't have the focus. But still, projects are alive. So people are still sitting in the office. They're still writing some code. They're still getting their you know salaries. So somehow they survive. And what do you recommend for a programmer who understands that their focus is lost? To actually start this, you know, uh, complaining or just well, that, going and so, so let's so so again, just so we've got the right focus. I wouldn't see it as complaining. I would see it about uh, as about getting clarity in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. So you know, we let's be you know, when we when we're looking to go towards the success, be remain positive about it. So what we need is we need more clarity because if i if i tell you i want a care can you say what kind if i say i don't care it's but i'm still going to pay you imagine it's up that to, yeah. It's up to, yeah it's up to you to decide mm-hmm. then you might say well how big is it for do you want a, a 12 inch diameter cake is it for four people is it for eight people and once we've given that framework then you can say okay yeah i can go and make that cake when you bring it back to me if I say, well, this is no good, it's not chocolate, then show me why that was in the requirements. Mm-hmm. So it's about creating a clear picture of what success looks like. That's how we empower people. But so if I tell you I want you to create a chocolate cake with a sponge and chocolate cream, and I want it to serve eight people, you can now go away and build that cake. It doesn't need to be you know, a, the complete recipe, a photograph of it down to the minute detail. I have to give you enough information for you to be able to go and uh, work on it. And I think sometimes with with IT, we need to understand not just what, but why. I I worked on a project for London Electricity back in 1994. And um, maybe some of your listeners weren't born back then, but we we had mobile phones and computers in 94. And I, I was working on a project for the electricity company and we... We were going competitive, which meant that the different uh, regional companies could compete with each other. And we wrote a thousand page spec and we delivered the system and it was okay. It, it fairly much did its job. But when we went to do the, the next round of development, I went to see the business lead and I said, okay, we want to do the requirements gathering. And they said, fine, let's do it now. And I said, well, we have a thousand page spec you know, these take time to build. And they said, no, no, we're going to do it now. Uh-huh. I said, okay, <laughs> you're the boss. And he said, there's three things I want from this electricity billing system. I want you to, I want you to create prompt, accurate meter reading. So I want the meters read and in the system within two days of month end, and I want them to be accurate. I want you to create invoices that are, accurate based on those meter readings and our pricing and then i want you to send the uh, invoices so that we get paid within two to three days and i said okay and he said that's it those are the only three things we want prompt accurate meter readings prompt invoices 
prompt payment. Whatever else the system needs to do to deliver that, you guys figure it out. And, and what this did was, with just this very high-level guidance, it allowed us to go and look at all of the requirements we created before and ask ourselves, did it deliver on one of these three things? And if it didn't, we could pretty much just say, nope, that's, that's not a, a must-have, that's a nice-have, we'll just uh, get rid of it. And we ended up building a, a much better system because now not only did we understand what we were doing, but we understood why we were doing it. And this is because the because we're selling electricity we have to buy it and until the customer pays for it we're incurring debt so the quicker we can get paid the more profitable we're going to be and understanding that and you know to go with the what were the requirements of what it was we're going to do it helped us then focus on the right thing so more understanding helps us get that focus right and this is one of the beauties of FAST with focus, accountability, simplicity, and transparency. The simpler we make things, the easier it is to focus on them. It's almost impossible to focus on complex things uh, and, and get it right. You're absolutely right. And again, I'm, I'm thinking about that. And I'm, I want to ask, what do you think, why, uh, what do you think is the main reason for people losing focus? I, I don't think they're doing it because they're, you know, bad people no. and don't want to stay organized, but for some reason they lose focus. So what's the cause, root cause of that? So, so, so in the book, I, I cover this. And when I speak on fast, I, I, I give people three things that uh, cause us to lose focus. One of them is that we don't have a clear picture of what success looks like. So if you don't know what success looks like, as you're working towards it. So I was talking with somebody, I was coaching them on writing a book. And they've been, they'd, before I did the coaching, they'd been working on the book for two years. And they said, oh, I've written 11,000 words. And I said, well, how many words is the book? And they said, I don't know. I said, well, how do you know when you're finished? Uh -huh. So she said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, in this sense, this is where you're going to lose focus and momentum because... You, you don't know where that end is. So, you so why it happens? Why it happened with this book? With this so, so what we did was I got our three different books out. I said, this is a book that's 25,000 words. This is one that's 40,000. This is one that's 70,000. And she looked at them and said, I want to write a book that's 40,000 words. Great. You've written already 10,000. You're a quarter of the way to the end. And we said, okay, how many chapters? And she said, you know, there were 10 chapters. Great. So that's 4,000 words a chapter. 10 chapters, you write a thousand words a day, you'll be done in 40 days. Now she has a plan that she can see is going to arrive at 40,000. She knows what success looks like. Now she can get her focus and get her motivation to work towards that goal. And as she progresses, she can see herself moving towards the target. And it's that, you know, if, if every time you do something you don't know whether you know it's like climbing a hill blindfolded if you don't know you know how close you are to the top it's easy to get demotivated and lose focus so we, we've got to have that clear picture of success so we can see where we are on that journey another thing that causes us to lose focus is that we have too many priorities and when everything's a priority nothing's a priority and I remember in my last job when I was uh, head of uh, 
global IT service delivery, my boss told me, these are your six number one priorities. Huh. Well, <laughs> how does that work? Uh, and the thing about priority, priority means prior. It means the one ahead. You can't, you, you can't really have multiple priorities because there is only one first. So mm -hmm. tell me what that is. And so when time becomes tight, I can say, okay, this is what I'll focus on. And then I'm focused on the right thing. So that when, I'm, when I've done a good job in this one area, you're going to be happy that I've done the right work as opposed to saying, well, why don't you do this other one? Well, I didn't do that because you didn't say it was a priority. It wasn't our key focus. So we need to make sure that we keep our priorities to a minimum. Uh, and I, I don't like to have more than three. And I think that's good for uh, you know, a business and a department. Um, and there might be multiple components that lead to those. You know, it's like if you say, you know, one of your priorities is you want to be healthier. You know, you might have different things that you're doing for that. You might have an exercise regime. You might have a stretching. You might have a diet. You know, the, you might be doing massages. I don't know. There, there could be multiple things you do to arrive towards that one focus. But you don't want to have too many. I, I was doing a piece of work with a, a university, and they had five goals. And each of those five goals brought down, brought down into five sub-goals. Now you've got 25 goal, sub-goals. Now you're focusing on everything. Now you're focusing on nothing. So, you know, what is it? What is the primary focus? So let's try and keep it down to a maximum of three, and that'll help us to maintain our focus. And then the last thing is to make sure you communicate it. The number of times I've worked on projects where we just told people, do this. And when they don't understand why or what it is we're doing, and they're just given a task, it makes it difficult to make sure that you do the right thing. You know, people, especially uh, programmers, engineers, they're pretty smart. They're experts in their area. So if we can tell them what the bigger picture is and how their piece contributes to it, if we've, if we've given them slightly misleading information or we, we just push them in the point them in the wrong direction if they understand the bigger picture they can then look to refocus themselves i mean you know, maybe come and ask us look i think i need to do this what do you think but if we if we don't share that with our teams then they might end up doing something that they think is the right thing but is counterintuitive and I, i've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and you know small businesses where there's 10 to 15 employees and the boss has had a financial target for that company but he hasn't shared that with any of the employees you know we want to make a million we want to make two million we want to make a hundred thousand they don't share that and if they if the employees don't know what they're contributing to how can they know whether they're doing a good job how can they remain focused you know i have a you know um uh, I would say it. Uh, I suspect that uh, many people don't want to keep focus, don't want to have like one or two or three priorities because they're afraid that, uh, that if they focus on one thing or focus on two things instead of many of them, uh, the chances of loss, of, of a total loss, uh, the chances are very are much higher. 
comparing to the situation when you focus on everything, you spread your efforts over many, many goals. And that's why they decide not to stay focused. So they just feel scared to focus all their efforts on one thing. Because in that case, if you lose, then you lose everything. Yeah, so, so what you're talking about is diversification, which, is, which is okay if you've got a, a, a stock portfolio. But you know, when it actually comes down to the effort, we, you know, we want to be we want to be you know um taking on tasks and completing them and then moving on to the next if you if you just try and do 10 things all at once you can get to 90 you know let's say you're 90 percent successful that's 10 things that you've done to 90 percent. you haven't completed anything you've put a lot of effort in but you've got 10 tasks all of which are at 90 percent complete it would be much better to have done those 10 tasks serially and have, you know, when you're 90% done, then you've completed nine out of 10. And it's about getting our effectiveness. And I understand that sometimes people don't want to just say, okay, I'm going to focus on this one thing. Because if it doesn't go well, you've nowhere to hide it. It's not like you can say, oh, well, I was working on this other thing as well. It makes you more uh accountable and it makes your performance more visible but the good news or the the upside to that is that if your performance becomes more visible as you start to make progress it will motivate you to keep going also if you start to make progress your boss will see that and then he can give you positive feedback and recognition for it whereas if you're working on 10 things and nothing's really moving and you don't see the progress your boss can get pissed off. You can get demotivated with your own progress. It doesn't help you, you know, become uh, highly engaged, empowered, and excited. And that's where we want our teams to be. Hmm. Okay, sounds sounds reasonable. Yeah. Uh, what about accountability? Let's move to the next to the so, so account. So accountability is about the who. It's about who is going to be doing the work? Have we communicated it to them? And how are you going to hold them accountable? And there's a couple of things with accountability. The first is that you cannot hold people accountable if you yourself as a leader are not accountable. You know, it's like having a, an expenses policy where nobody can spend more than $10 on a meal and yet the leader spent, regularly spends 25 30 why should anybody do something mm. if the leader doesn't do it you know leader sets the tone you know so if you want people to turn up on time for meetings you've got to be on time for meetings if you want people to you know get their work done on time then you've got to do your work on time if you've got a meeting with them you've got to turn up to that meeting prepared and ready to go uh, and we as leaders set that tone so we have to hold ourselves accountable and the second thing is we need to make sure that we put our people into a position where they can be successful because if we don't then why should people take accountability if they don't know whether it's going to be successful or not and why we don't do that why managers are not you know giving accountability for their people so one of the things i tell people is that um and, and i'll tell you i'll tell you what i tell them and then the question that i get which i find interesting and that is that there's a you cannot make people accountable i can make you responsible i can say hey this is your job 
but I can't make you accountable to do a good job. You decide whether you're going to be accountable. So yes, you, you know you're responsible, but to become accountable means to take ownership, to take pride in it, to be committed to delivering the best. And, and the way we get people to take accountability is to ask them a very simple question. And that question is, do you have everything you need in order to be successful? And when people say yes, they, you know, it's subconscious, they can immediately say, oh, wow, yeah, I have got everything I need. I'm now set up for success. All I need to do is put the effort in. So by asking them that question, one, we've kind of tricked them uh, into taking accountability because, yes, I have everything I need to be successful. And the question I get from a lot of leaders is, but what happens if they say no? Well, if they say no, as their leader, you are accountable to give them what they need. If your teams don't have what they need to be successful, then they are going to fail. And it's your team. And that's your failure, not theirs. So as leaders, holding our teams accountable actually requires us to be accountable, one, to set the tone, and two, to ask that question. And then when our team say, I need, you know, I need something else, you know, I need a, an environment, I need a, uh, you know, um, a, a server, I need access to this, I need some particular software. If we, if we don't give them that, then they can't be successful. So they're not going to accept accountability, but that's actually our job. So holding our teams accountable requires us to hold ourselves accountable. And a lot of people don't want to do that. So we're just, we, I mean, managers are just scared of hearing the truth and that's why we're not even asking that question. Correct. Because it might mean that one, we have to do something Two, it might be, well, I don't know how we're going to get that. Yeah, but if you want your team to be successful, ask them that question. Uh -huh. But yeah. I'm not prepared for the answer. I don't want to, you know, spend extra time on finding those resources to clear uh, the relationship between them. So I, I better not ask, right? IBM did a study uh -huh. of projects that failed. 75% of projects that failed the people involved knew day one <laughs> it was going to fail. 75%. Really? So imagine, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, have you not been involved in a project like that where people say, hey, I've got a great idea. Let's put a man on Pluto by next Friday. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, I've been in How's... those projects many times. Yeah. 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 And if they'd have said to her, if they'd have asked you that question, do you have everything you need to succeed? Yeah, I've got absolutely everything I need, apart from the rocket to get us there, the trained <laughs> astronauts, the fuel for the rocket, the food that we need, uh, an understanding of the plan, the, uh, the technology to get back. It's going to take 50 years to get there. So we, you know, how is this going to work? You know, if you don't ask that question, we're just, we're just setting ourselves up for failure. And as leaders... Yeah, this is what project. This is what I always find strange with project managers uh, is that when a project fails, when you are the project manager, 
you are accountable for the success of the project. You can blame whoever you want, but all of the people above you are looking at you. Mm -hmm. you know, they, they might hear that you know Bob in uh, testing didn't do a good job, but they're just going to be thinking, yeah, but that happened on your watch. He mm -hmm. reports to you. I remember uh, a company I worked for, I won't say which one because I don't want to embarrass the, the uh, person if he's listening. Um, and he said to me, uh, you know, that we had a we had a data center outage. I mean, we we crashed the data center for a, a good six hours for a very large, multi-billion-dollar uh, company, and and my boss, who was the global CIO, he said to me, "You know, instead of service delivery, Gordon, you're accountable for this." And I thought, "Yeah, but you're global CIO." And, it, you know, and you might have to explain this to the CEO. And I thought, the CEO looks to you as the global CIO. He doesn't look past you to find out who in your team is accountable. As far as he's concerned, you're accountable for IT. You cannot, you know, you cannot sidestep it. Anybody that's beneath you, you are accountable for them. So as, as project managers and leaders, our, our success is dependent upon the success of our teams. And the more of our teams that we can make successful, the more success that we are going to have. Right. And, and why those 75% of people who knew from the start that the project will fail, why they still spend their time, resources, and everything for that project? What do you think? Because they were told to do it. And they said, uh, you know, and, and maybe they were told, I, I did a project at DHL and um, I, I'd only been with the company, I don't know, around three weeks. And it was a big organizational restructure. And I, I just didn't understand what it was they were trying to do because I didn't understand the internal politics. I didn't understand how the current organization was. You know, it was, a, you know, we had this like global and regional and country teams. And I asked the senior vice president, I said, hey, can you explain to me how this works? Because I'm not sure. And he went, oh, forget it. There'll be another change on in 12 months. Understand that one. And I thought, nice. yeah, nice attitude. But this was, you know, so this was one of those things where they didn't know why they were doing it. They just felt it was change for change sake. They couldn't see it was going to be any better. They they didn't they knew that it was uh, dictated from above and um you know it it just wasn't it wasn't worth excuse me <clears throat> it wasn't worth um asking or questioning because nobody was listening it was just a mandate from above and of course that project we implemented it but i, I wouldn't say it was successful you know it crawled over the finishing line it wasn't it wasn't an inspired organizational change that delivered significant benefit it was just uh it was just different one of the things I would uh, I'd mention is that, you know, this is one of the things I really like about uh, Agile. Agile challenges a lot of this. And I, I just wrote an article yesterday called, you know, I was watching over Christmas, four weddings and a funeral. And it made me think of uh, an article around Agile that I wrote, four reasons why it works and one excuse that people give when it doesn't and you know the reasons why it works is one it's self-determination the teams involved get to decide from the list of things what's in scope so they get to uh, decide that 
Um, they get to make the commitment. It's not something that's forced down on them that will put, you've got to put a man on the moon by Friday. It was that question of how long do you think this will take? And make, getting them involved in that decision-making increases their uh, commitment. We have a clear picture of what success looks like because we have to define what done is. And then the fourth reason why Agile works is because it puts management into a supportive role where we are now, you know, in the daily stand-ups looking to eliminate roadblocks. Those are the four reasons why it succeeds. And the one excuse that I hear over and over again as to why it fails is that it failed because we were an immature organization the team wasn't ready to accept this level of accountability the team weren't ready to make these kind of decisions and every single time that i've looked at that it had nothing to do with the team it was the management who didn't feel comfortable giving over power it um because you know they didn't trust the teams sometimes they didn't want to give over the power because they just got into leadership positions and they wanted to hold on to the power. Sometimes it was just the leaders just wanted to tell teams, get it done and not provide any of the support. And one of the things about Agile is it really holds leadership accountable to uh, delivering on what leadership and management is all about, which is putting your teams into a position where they can be successful and then supporting them on that journey and a lot of people don't understand that about leadership or don't want to do that or haven't been trained in those capabilities and now find themselves in a leadership position so yeah. this is one of the reasons why I, I like agile but it's also one of the reasons why agile can sometimes fail because leadership just ain't ready for it that's true. Don't you think that uh, the 75% of failures, of failures which we can foresee right from the start, uh-huh. is a very inevitable number and uh, something which we cannot change and shouldn't change? Like 25% of projects are going to be successful, the rest just going to be unsuccessful, and that's the no. way it should be. Okay. No, 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 no. I, no? I, 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 no, I completely disagree. I, I've worked on projects where we've got the... Uh, on-time delivery to 80%. And we've done that by making sure we're focused on the right things, that people have got the tools that they need to do. You know, and... But do we need so many successful projects? That's my question. So maybe the industry absolutely, needs absolutely. a lot of stuff, which is just uh, politics. We just need no, to no, burn the resources, no. and that's it, no? No, absolutely. So I went for uh, a, a manufacturing company and for small projects of 60 day duration. So just like a, a, you know, um, you know, kind of like sprint, a couple of sprints worth of delivery. Our on time delivery was 35%. And a lot of these deliveries were about supporting product launches. And if you've got a business that is launching products every quarter, yet we're only available to support it one in three, that's terrible mm-hmm. for the business. So we, we, we don't necessarily need to become faster, but we need to become predictable. And, and this is one of the things that, you know, again, it, it's about maturity and understanding that, yeah, I know you'd like, you know, it's like a woman, not getting sexist here, 
just uh, as an example, a, a woman, it takes nine months for her to have a baby. You can want it in three. You could love to get it in two, but it takes nine months. And what we need to do is we need to be understand that some of the things that we do have a minimum fixed duration and plan around that. Don't plan around wishful thinking and don't think you can get three women and get a baby in three months. It, it doesn't work like that. And as, as IT, we need to deliver as quickly as we can, but we need to be predictable because then the business can plan their launches uh, with confidence. If they know, you know, we, we ended up going from a 35% on-time delivery to a 95% on-time delivery, which meant that the business could actually plan with a high degree of confidence new product launches. Now, it might not have gone live you know it might have gone live in three four months rather than three but at least that's better than us telling them we'll be ready in three them looking to launch and then no it system to support it that, that okay well, let me give you a practical example i've been in the project a few years ago where in a company actually which was doing some things with some group of programmers and then all of a sudden that project had to be stopped and uh, the new project was not ready to start so we need to keep the team busy doing something some you know writing some code not to lose the programmers uh -huh. you just don't give them the work to do they will you know they will quit and they will find another company so yeah. you make up some project you make up something which they need to do which makes no sense at all which has no potential success at all and everybody understands that but so we give not? them that work just to keep them in house so that may be another so example you know where there's no accountability we all so know why, it's going to be a failure so why, why not <laughs> so i love that uh, I worked on a project at one company where they gave the CIO an impossible deliver this in three months. And we spent 13 months and it took three months and one week and they fired him. And, and uh, they then cancelled that project and it didn't move forward. And I, and I was speaking with one of the business owners, one of the business leaders, and they said, yeah, it was a setup. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I said, well, why didn't you just call him and say, hey, we want to fire you. There's two ways we can do this. One, we can blow 30 million on a project we're never going to use. Or why don't you just go now and take 3 million? Well, because 30 million is a company's money. Nobody cares about that yeah, money. Give him the 3 million. Don't spend 30. Just say, hey, here's 3 million. Piss off. Yeah, but nobody will approve that decision of a higher yeah. management. Yeah, but, they will say, what are you guys are doing? Three million yeah. to just fire a guy? How yeah, but, about we fire you? Yeah, but what we ended up doing was we ended up paying 30 million to fire a guy. Yeah, but that was not an obvious mistake of a management. Yeah, it was like something that, in the air, you know. Yeah, but, but, but now, but, the, but then in that case, people need to be held accountable. Yeah, for, but it's for, not their money. That's the problem. Yeah, they don't care. I, I worked. I worked on a, uh, an electricity company. They'd spent they'd spent eighty million on a project, and they needed sorry. They spent forty million on a project, and they needed another forty to complete it. And I delivered a, a more complex project in a new set of tools for ten. And I told them, look, in the time available, we could deliver the system that you're looking for, and it will cost us ten million. So instead of spending another 40, you spend 10 and the system will be 
perfect. And the CIO said, no. And I said, you'd rather spend 40 million when you could spend third, when you could just spend 10. He said, no, it's not that. It's that if we spend the 10, we have to admit to making a mistake on the first 40. Exactly. And, and somebody will get fired because there of you go. Yeah. So, so we spent 40 million. We, we spent 30 million extra just so somebody didn't get fired. Tell me in what business that makes sense. And this is, this is leadership not being accountable. You know, that person should have been fired. Well, in all honesty. But he wasn't fired, you see? No, no, he wasn't. He managed he to save his own position by just burning the money of the company. Yeah, but now, now in terms of being a leader, that's not an ethical leader, is it? Absolutely not, no. I, I would have rather gone and said, look, we've, you know, total cost of this with two options. One's 50 million, one's 80 million. Which do you want, which do you want to go with? And if they'd have asked me, why did we spend the 40 out of told the truth? At the time that we made that investment, it was the right decision. Today, that position's changed. Knowing what we know now, this is... But, this but is you see, you're time. just confirming my, my, my suspicion. You're just confirming that. And in some cases, and in many cases, the business, businesses are making not logical decisions, but, but decisions which are absolutely not you know, based on which numbers, the, but based on something are, else. Which are the wrong focus they are the wrong focus you're making the you're making the you're making the right decision or you're making the wrong decision for the wrong reasons and, and this is what stops companies from being fast and being highly effective because imagine how motivated you would be if you work for a boss who's just blown an additional 30 million on a project to save his own ass and then he comes to you and says, hey, I need you to work the next six weekends to deliver this project. Are you going to be motivated? Is that a leader that's going to inspire you? Oh, no, hell, absolutely not. Hell no. no. And, and this is what we need to do as leaders. We need to be making these, we need to be making these brave decisions and, and, and things change. You know, you, we see it all the time, you know, sport, they'll pick a team and they'll change it at half time if it's not going well and, and put somebody else in. We've got to, we've got to adapt. Leadership is flexible. You know, mm -hmm. we've got to be able to adapt. Don't be sticking with the, the wrong thing just because you're emotionally uh, attached to it. And, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately, if you think that people don't see that you've blown 80 million on a project they can get for 50, you're kidding yourself. It does get seen. Somebody will pick that up and it, and it, it will come back to, to bite you at some point in the future. Yeah. Okay, tell us about the simplicity, the, the third letter. So simplicity is about the how and have we, have we kept things as simple as possible and you know I, i'm glad we're, we're talking from an it perspective because that's you know where i spent 30 years of my professional career and it engineers we have a, a, a we work in what is often a complex uh, environment but sometimes we make it more complex than it needs to be 
Uh, and we need to keep it simple so we can understand it. And, as, and for leaders, we need to keep it simple so that they can understand how they can benefit. And one of the, um, one of the things we need to do is we need to make sure, uh, uh, and I say this from a leadership perspective, having managed many multidisciplinary teams, one great question that you can ask of technical people is, how does this work? Explain it to me. And I, I did a networking project as part of a huge uh, organization, and, and I've never really worked in networking. And I asked them, so how is this going to work? And the networking team said to me, Gordon, you'd need a, you know, you'd need a CCIE, Cisco CCIE, in order to understand this, and you don't have that, so it's no point. Uh, as explaining it to you and I said well that's interesting because Einstein says if you can't explain it to a, an eight-year-old you don't understand it so I appreciate I'm not a Cisco C, CCIE but you now explain to me in simple terms how this is going to work and if your teams can't explain it then they don't understand it and they need to go away and look into it in, in more detail. And we've got to hold people accountable for keeping things simple. Because if you've got a, a, a project manager that um, is leading others, if he can't explain it to you as, your, as his boss or her boss how it's going to work, how are they going to explain it and communicate it to the teams that they're working for? And if you can't, understand it you shouldn't be uh, leading it so we need to keep things simple and that doesn't necessarily mean that the technology can't be complex it can be complex but we have to be able to explain it in a way that keeps it si simple that people can understand i think yeah sorry to interrupt you i think many technical people are actually uh very proud of being too complex, of being, uh, yeah, of knowing something which you don't know or somebody else Correct. doesn't. So they want to keep their, their, their positions, the power of their positions because yeah. they know things which nobody else knows. Yeah, this is how would I you recommend to, to deal with that, to resolve that? Well, I, if I was leading those people, I would say that if I can't understand it, I can't help you. If I can't understand it, I can't tell you whether it's right or wrong. So explain it to me. Uh, and I, I would also, as well, I, I would tell them that if you, if you, as, as, as smart as you are, if you can't explain it, I will replace you with somebody who can. Because I'm a, I'm a smart guy. So please explain to me. And you don't need to explain to me all of the switches and the bits and the bytes. Talk to me, you know, in English, in a language that I can understand so I can see what it's going to be because I, I i've been in it for 30 years and you know, i can listen to what people are saying and you know see whether that's you know going to work make sense or not but if they can't explain it at that level then yeah i'm gonna i, I am gonna replace you and i'm not you know this is not about threatening your position you're not allowing me to do my job well they, 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 those people will be able to explain it to you as the manager. But if somebody will come to them on their level of management, their colleagues, and ask the same question, they may not want to explain it. So they will hide those knowledge from their colleagues in order to keep the position of power. 
Yeah, uh, it happens, right? Uh, yeah, it, it does. But what I would tell these people then is that if you, as you want to move up the chain, what you need to understand that knowledge isn't power; it's the application of knowledge that is power. And if you keep all of that knowledge to yourself, then the only thing you've got to deliver is your two hands. Mm-hmm. And you want to be, you want to be sharing your knowledge and your power to allow more people to implement it, because that's going to allow you to have a much, much bigger impact. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like you know, for all the leadership stuff, I could just have kept all of the, you know, as I moved up in leadership, I made sure that I coached all of the people that worked for me how to be better leaders. Did that mean that some of them became a threat to me? Yeah, absolutely, because they they have the expertise and they understand how to lead. But you know, you've got to have confidence in your own abilities, and the the better they could lead underneath me, the better the overall results are going to be, which is then going to push me even higher. Mm-hmm. Keep knowledge to ourselves; it's a scarcity mentality. And when you have that mentality, if that becomes your reputation, people will then not be looking to put you in positions of uh, criticality because they know that you're going to become the, they're going to become uh, dependent on you. And we don't want to be dependent on a particular individual because to be dependent can also be to to be hostage, and you might look to leave anyway and then then what happens so we need to make sure that you know knowledge is shared and that expertise and understanding is shared and i would i would encourage people to do that don't don't just leadership is about coaching you'll get more money from leadership positions if you can coach and nurture others to grow Mm -hmm. okay and the final letter t is transparency i believe yeah so transparency is about um, feedback loops and well it's it's about two things it's about understanding what's involved and then it's about um you know getting the transparency into the performance so we can look and see how we're doing so you know a lot of companies i've worked at you know they didn't have slas or they had slas but they didn't have reporting so you couldn't see how well they were performing we did at one company we were we had a um an sla of um, 90% of tickets resolved within the uh, SLA. But the problem with that was we had priority ones, priority twos, priority threes, and priority four tickets all mixed in with that. And when you've got a 90% level, the feeling was that we were doing a great job, but we had no transparency as to how we were doing on priority one, two, three, or four tickets. And when we got that transparency, what we saw was that 95% of the priority three and four tickets were fixed in SLA and none of the priority one and two tickets. But because we had so few of them, it wasn't impacting our overall performance. But from a business perspective, not dealing with the priority one and priority two tickets in time was really, really hurting the business. So we've got to get that visibility in a performance. And if you've got uh, problems in a particular area, then drill down and get even more transparency. What are the various stages that are involved so you can try and 
identify where the problem areas are and then address them. The more transparency we have, the easier it is to focus, to identify and then focus on problem areas. And I'll give you an example. We had, um, for our priority one tickets for system outages, we had an average of 12 hours to uh, resolve them against an SLA of two. And once I started looking at how we were fixing them, 70% of them were fixed by a reboot. Um, and then when you're looking at this, well, why is it taking 12 hours? And the problem was we were spending 10 hours trying to understand it, couldn't find a solution, and then did a reboot. Okay, well, why not? Once, now we've got that transparency, why don't we spend one hour looking for something? If we can't find a solution, do a reboot. And just by doing that, we took the average outage time from 12 hours down to three hours. Mm -hmm. And again, my question is why it's happening? Why don't we have this transparency of performance? Because we're too busy. We're, we have the wrong focus. It's just tick it in, fix it, move on. You know, the, there's, well, in, within IT, especially in operations, Mm -hmm. are two jobs that we have to do one we have to put the fires out and two we have to stop fires from happening and putting fires out is more important or it feels it's well, it's more urgent because it's on fire now you need to come and fix this now but we've got to find the time at, at the point that, that we're putting some of these fires out to actually go and stop fires from starting so when i took over the operation 95 percent of the resources were focused on putting the fires out and, and and given the number of fires we had that felt like uh, a good split of resources but you know once we got once i got involved and could see the number of issues we had i actually changed that to around 70 30 and i put 30 percent of the team on stopping the fires from happening and it was difficult because it meant some of the fires that we had burnt for a little bit longer, but our performance was not that great anyway. So we, we went from, you know, from very bad to very, very bad. But by having that 30% of resource focused on, or 30% of our time focused on, okay, so why did this happen? What can we do to stop it? We actually ended up going from 50 outages, priority ones a month that, um, Sorry, it wasn't 12 hours, it was eight hours um, resolution time. So 50 priority ones at 80 hours, sorry, at eight hours. We got that down from 50 to five priority ones with an average of two hours. So 10 hours of system downtime compared to um, 400 mm -hmm. a month. Okay. But that required us to focus on stopping them from happening, not putting them out. Because otherwise, we'd have just got it down to you know, putting them out for two hours, but we'd have still been at 100 hours of outage because we've got 50 at two hours. By taking that dual-pronged approach, how can we put them out faster and how can we stop them from happening? We went from 50 to five and from eight hours to two hours. And that allowed us to go from 400 hours of outage down to 10. And when you're at 10 hours of outage, that feels great. <clears throat> Business was extremely happy, much more stable, much more reliable. But you've got to be focused on, on stopping fires from happening.
that's important. Putting fires out is urgent. Absolutely. One last question for you, uh, sure. and we're ready to finish. Uh, if you compare your experience now and your experience, say, 10 years ago and 20 years ago, how do you think, are we improving or our success rate is going down in the industry, in our projects? I think, I think we, we're still at the same levels of failure but i i think that with you know with some of the changes to technology uh, and you know smaller more frequent re uh, releases um you know that the the, the some cases the that we, we're still having 70 percent failure but they're on a much smaller uh scale so i think that's uh, you know that's probably a good thing but we still when you've got a big project we're, we're still experiencing some of those uh big failures there's just fewer of them now and then i think the other thing that's difficult is with this move to outsourcing and offshoring you know for me i, I got involved in it before there was any offshoring and outsourcing so i spent my first three years as a COBOL programmer you know writing programs working with databases with screens and then then moved into design then into test management project management so i had a, a really strong grounding in it and, and what i found now is that with a lot of this work outsourced and offshore definitely in some of the western companies i've got project managers who've never ever coded in their life Mm -hmm. And they're, they're now leading teams where they don't have any technical, you know, any detailed technical understanding at all. And I, I sometimes wonder how that's going to work as um, more and more of that expertise moves, uh, moves offshore. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was really interesting to hear all this out. And I would recommend our listeners to take a look at your book. It's on Amazon, correct? Yeah, so what we can do is, um, if you'd like, I can give you a uh, link to a uh, PDF download. Oh, that would be great. People would like that. Now, there is a problem with it, and this is... Uh, resolvable for I, 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 I've been, we've been looking at this for a while um, sometimes the link just comes back to itself and we cannot pinpoint the root cause it's only about one in 30 but if that happens then I would just suggest that the uh, person just, email, just emails me and I'll send, okay. I'll send them the PDF all right sounds great that's generous Okay, cool. Thanks a lot for uh, joining me today. It was really interesting conversation. I, I actually learned, learned something <laughs> for myself. <laughs> so thank you very much and probably see you sometime next time. Okay, thank Bye. you very much. Bye-bye.